My biggest fear would be when the first comes and I don't get the rent. I found that my tenant had dumped concrete down my toilet. Can you believe Fair Housing fined me $5,000 for that? How do you onboard your tenants? What do you do? I don't even know if I do it right. If you're a landlord, don't just rent, rent perfect. The Rent Perfect Podcast with property expert and private investigator, David Pickron. Well, welcome to another episode of Rent Perfect Podcast. I'm your host, David Pickron, and with me today, always one of my favorite guests, Denny. I mean, you're on here so often with what you do, maybe even co-host, Denny Dobbins' attorney. I always talk about, maybe I don't have very many friends that are attorneys, but you certainly (laughs) are one of my best friends. Probably I've had more phone calls to you about what do I do over the last 20, 30 years than anybody else. Um, I convinced you to be my partner in Rent Perfect in 2007. I'm so grateful that you took me up on that. Um, but, Denny, you, you have a quite a career. And just in other podcasts, we've laid out some of your history. Just give us like just give us like a two- or three-minute history of I became an attorney and all the great things you've done from there. All right. Well, once I became an attorney... The first thing I I did is I started defending criminals, okay, which was quite an interesting uh, thing. But I also became the attorney for the International Crime Free Association at the same time. Uh, I was a co-founder, and I also wrote the Crime Free Addendum, which people throughout the United States now use. Worldwide. Worldwide, yeah. 13 13 countries that I know of. And... From there, I uh, continued to do criminal cases, but I also continued to uh, help landlords and teach police departments how to detect and deter criminal activity in any kind of rental property that you can think of. That's what we dealt with. And uh, we've taught hundreds of thousands of uh, landlords and owners. I've been involved in literally hundreds of thousands of eviction cases and and uh, that's kind of where my background comes you from. You were a HUD commissioner for a while? I was a HUD commissioner. So you have just a lot of knowledge, and that's why I love to have you here in the podcast because our Rent Nation, our listeners, just need to really take what's in your mind, and we need to, like, dump it into their mind because it'll save them so much time. Um, so thank you. Thank you for explaining that again. Today we're going to talk specifically about Minneapolis, Minnesota. And some of our listeners might say, well, I don't have properties there. I don't, you know, live there. I have no reason I want to invest there. They're coming for you. But, but yeah, <laughs> if these are successful in these bigger cities like Seattle, Chicago, San Francisco, they're coming to Oklahoma, Dallas, Phoenix, um, and we got to get ready for them. So really have to watch what's going to work, what's not going to work. I'm kind of this free spirit saying, hey, it's my property. I want to do whatever the heck I want to do with my property. And as my attorney, you're always saying, good luck with that argument in court. That's right. Once you enter into this game of being a landlord, you enter into federal uh, federal requirements, and there are all types of state, city, county requirements that are trying to make their way into the system because you said if these things are successful, well, even not successful, what you have are tenant associations pushing for more and more rights, and I don't say rights per se, but rights over the landlords, rules, 
governing the landlords so that they have more opportunity to put the burden of their care on the landlords. That's how I look at it, and that's how it's been for many years. So once the city starts seeing that these programs are not successful, you know how the pendulum, it'll just start turning backwards. It just goes back and forth. And once they see the negative consequences and the unintended consequences, they're going to start taking a different look at this thing. The problem is that's going to take 10, 20, 30 years. At least 10, at and, least. And I only probably have 10, 20 years left in my investing career. Yeah. So I, I got to make some smart decisions now. And so do the people watching this podcast. Um, so, you know, years ago in employment law, they introduced something called ban the box. Ban the box. You know, it was a new greatest thing. And we were going to, in an employment law, we were going to take the question off of the application that says, have you ever committed a felony or have you ever committed a misdemeanor? And we're not going to make them answer that at the very first step of applying for a job. Right. That's our other partner. Okay. Our other partner comes in and says, we're going to tell you what to do with employment and we're going to tell you what to do with housing because we know better than you. Right. So then they've come over to the housing side and say, hey, that kind of worked for the employment side. Let's bring it over to the housing side. And so this Minneapolis law talks about ban the box. And there are other cities that have banned the box. But really tell me, what in the heck does that mean? Basically, ban the box is you cannot ask the potential tenant anything to do with criminal history. So you can't talk about it. If they bring it up, don't talk about it. Say, well, that's not really part of this deal right now. You just deal with the tenant without even thinking about criminal activity in the past. So you're going to basically deal with their financial situation and and see, um, see if they can qualify. So let's get into the government's head real quick or whoever came up with this brilliant idea. What are they trying to achieve? What, what, what does that do? Well, it, it says, um, look, landlord, you, get to, you need to get to know this person a little bit before you just simply say, oh, well, they had a criminal history. I'm not going to rent to them. Maybe they're not as bad as you think they are. So let's, let's look at their other information first before you simply say, you're denied, and I haven't even looked at your finances. I haven't even looked at your employment. I haven't looked at anything to do with you other than I heard or saw that you were a former criminal. Okay. So they're trying to give somebody that has had a little bit of a colorful history a chance to convince a landlord that they're either rehabilitated, they've changed their ways. I don't even want to say a nice person because everybody's a nice person when they're applying for a property. And they want you to kind of get a little bit further down the process before you tackle, do you have a criminal history? Exactly. Okay, perfect. So when you, when you have a ban-the-box it doesn't It doesn't mean a whole lot. It never has, even for employment. But it, we do it anyway. It doesn't. It just changes the process a little bit. Yes. It just allows us to – it just delays it a little bit. I don't think it changes my mind at all. Because you're not going to change your criteria. As long as your criteria – is in compliance with federal law, you're not going to change your criteria and say, oh, oh, now I'll take those criminals. Right. Yeah. Right. So we come into Minneapolis. They want us to offer a condition 
of approval based off of the application. So they want you to look at the application. It now does not have those questions on there, but you're going to look at their name, social, date of birth, their job, their income, and they're going to look at your application, and then you're going to offer them what? It's a conditional ap- approval. Okay. For example, you could just take the application and look at it and go, well, all that looks pretty good. If what you're telling me is true, hey, you look like a great tenant. And so then you can go ahead and, and um, get their signature so that you can run their background, give them the federal notice, and, and, and give them, uh, you know, the, get the authorization from them telling you you can run it. Then you can go ahead and run it. Now if you find something, you can go ahead and revoke that conditional approval. Okay, so we took a one-step process and pretty much made it a two-step process, but we're still going to be able to run the credit, the credit, the criminal, the eviction history all together. If you get, want to do it all together, you can do it all together. Get back the report and then make the decision based on all of that information. Right, you're going to make a decision now based on an individualized assessment, based on the federal HUD guidelines, okay, and based on the new... Minneapolis guidelines. Okay, so that doesn't sound like it's a whole lot different from the way we've done it. And and it sounds like we can deal with that a little bit. But there are a few changes in this ordinance that we do need to talk about that I don't necessarily like, but they're kind of getting into our business a little bit. Right. They have made a decision that they know better than a landlord how they're going to deal with this issue of criminals with history and they're going to tell the landlord we're going to decide what your criteria is okay so we're going to make your criteria so for misdemeanors you can only go back two years to the conviction from the conviction date and for felonies five years and they don't talk about what kind of misdemeanors they don't talk about what kind of felonies they talk about there there's a caveat for a, a number of felonies that won't count Okay. Meaning that the landlord can still deny based on things like lifetime sex offender, arson, uh, manufacturer distribution of uh, methamphetamines. So I can go over five years if I see that. Yes. Okay. Yes. But all the other ones, no. So, Denny, you know, it says I can't go back five years on a felony, but I seen armed robbery six years ago. But I need, I need to go back as far as I can because I do have those caveats, right? I do have those where I can see if you've made methamphetamine 10 years ago, I don't have to rent to you. So I'm going to want my background investigation to go back as far as I can. But what pickle does that put me in when I see an armed robbery six years ago outside of that five-year felony? Doesn't that put me in just a terrible position? It puts you in a position of being negligent. And let me explain how. The, the situation is, let's say you go back in your let's say your criminal background company, your tennis screening company, goes back seven years. But you can only use information for five years for felonies or two years for misdemeanors. You're going to have a just a common sense, practical dilemma of going, holy smokes, I know this guy killed somebody six years ago or seven years ago. I, do I have to rent to him now? Right, and by the way, he just got out of prison yesterday. Yeah, he got out of prison yesterday because this mm-hmm. is from the conviction date, not from the release date. Right. So I'm going to put him in here where he's now learned to be a really good criminal, 
and he's a he's, he's a quote murderer. Now I have to put him in there, and it's it's six years old. Here's here's even a worse part. I can't use it, but now he's in there next door to a family that doesn't. A, yeah, if you have a multifamily, a fourplex, yeah. a sixplex, they don't know anything about it. Right, but I do. Do I have a duty now to tell them? Can I tell them about it? Because if you were living there, Dave. With my family. Would you want to know? Oh, well, yeah, I'd want to protect my family, but I'd probably leave. Yeah, you probably would. So I'm not so if the landlord doesn't tell you and then this new tenant does something to your family, am I the landlord now liable for not telling you because I had a duty of reasonable safety? because of my failure to tell you and then it was for foreseeable for me to think that this guy who just got out of prison right for killing somebody 7 years ago is now next door to you I'm in I got problems as a landlord now I'm not a huge HUD fan I'm not a huge fan of anybody who tells me how to run my property I kind of that old school american I'm free to do what I want with my property I I understand why some restrictions are there and and some people abuse it. And then there are some bad landlords. I get that. But at least HUD says our guidelines are seven years from release of prison or release of parole. When Minneapolis says five years from conviction date, that means they could be in prison the whole five years, and you could be the first person that they apply with right when they get out of prison. That gives them no time to be in society to see are they really reformed. And when I know that two-thirds of these guys, the recidivism rates, two-thirds of these guys are going back to prison, that scares the heck out of me. And I would have some people call me and say, well, the reason they're going back to prison is because they can't, good house, can't get good housing and can't get a good job. And, hey, I, I'll give that to you. I'll give that argument to you. But, I understand that. But the real that. question is, is that the landlord's fault? And that's, that's where I'm going. Is that, is that something that I have to deal with? Is that something that I have to put... You know, in my personal family, my wife runs our portfolio most of the time. And I'm, I don't let her go into units without me a lot of the times, but she's still taking texts or phone calls or whatever. I'm, I'm concerned. I'm concerned about her safety in a situation like this, knowing that six years ago I've got a guy who's done something really, really wrong, but I have to rent to them or I violate this ordinance. So these guys are in a tough position up there in Minneapolis. Well, they're, the landlords are, from what I understand, many landlords are just getting out of the business or they're moving their portfolio, they're transitioning their portfolio outside of the city limits so that they don't have this particular issue because it, it, it's going to have a negative effect as opposed to a positive effect. It's going to create blight. It's going to create homelessness because now the C&D properties are saying, well, uh, you know, I don't want to be part of this anyway. You know, now it was bad enough before. Now I don't even get to, you know, see which criminals I want to keep in my place. Now I got to keep them all. And they're saying, well, I don't want to do that. And so people are going to come in and either buy them or live in them or something. But it's not going to have the effect that you want. Well, I love Minneapolis and I love Minnesota. Been there several times. Um, great, great people up there. Yeah, we did a crime-free convention yeah, there. Yeah. yeah, trying to do you know just the right thing. And and I will say to my investors up there, you know, just be glad you're not Seattle, who is 
zero criminal history. At least you get a two and a five year, but still, you know, that's yeah. just that's just not enough for me. I, I want to make sure that when I'm renting my property and I'm trying to find the right applicant that becomes the right tenant, I want to make sure they're there for two, three, four, and five years. And I'm looking for responsibility. So I'm looking at all kinds of things that tell me this is a responsible right person and two-year misdemeanor and five-year felony is just not enough time for me to make that decision. That's me personally, um, but but you got to change your ways if you're in Minneapolis. Yeah, a lot of uh, landlords seem to think, or at least some of them think, that maybe they can't do backgrounds anymore because of this legislation, because of this ordinance. But it's even more important now that they do a criminal history because you've got to do what you can do to avoid the negligence situation to be, you know, you don't want to be held responsible for the criminal act of a third party on another party. Right. And Denny, one thing we teach too is, is your A and B properties. You might want to raise up your, your credit, uh, credit score criteria just a little bit. Um, we usually don't see people with that are repeat criminal offenders with a 700 credit score. It's usually doesn't correlate like that. Um, so that's one way that you can kind of protect yourself is when you make your criteria, just up that criteria a little bit. Well, that's one of the reasons these kind of ordinances don't work. It defeats the purpose. You know, if they're trying to get the purpose of having people not tell uh, a landlord beforehand what their criminal history is, but then they get wiped out in the credit evaluation, what good has it done? Well, next year's law is just going to be, okay, credit score now. And there's going to be this constant tug between the government and the landlord. And and I've said this before in other podcasts. We provide a great product. The, the, the government officials should be thanking us landlords for providing housing. They should be thanking us. And instead, they're kind of smacking us in their face and they're saying, yeah, this is your problem, not ours. Well, it's interesting and I'll, I'll give you this one last thing. It's interesting that, you know, in public housing, they still have to go through a criminal background. Yeah. You know, that hasn't changed because, you know, uh, there's all kinds of lawsuits out there against HUD. And, and the one that goes back to 97, uh, I think it was HUD v. Rucker. Um, look, they, they have a lot of duties to the other tenants that are, right. that are there. So, you know, but yet they're trying to say to... The private sector, they're not even giving them what the government sector, public sector, has had has, has had the right to do, and that is evict for criminal activity and to know when criminal activity is coming in as an applicant. In fact, you can't even you can't even apply in some in some instances where you have criminal history. Some section eight, sir. Yes. So it's it's do as I say, not as I do. I mean, right? Right. Put it on the backs. Try to take care of the housing problem and the homeless problem and the mental ill problem. Make the landlords do it. Make the private sector landlords do it. That's what I'm seeing. It's almost comical. I mean, it's almost comical. Here's the great thing about this ordinance in Minneapolis. There's some great suburb cities that don't have to follow this uh, ordinance. Hopefully they don't jump on board. But those are the cities that you're going to start seeing rental developments starting to pop up and so to my friends and investors and to the rent perfect nation if you're up in the minnesota area just 
just buy in the suburbs. Just buy in the suburbs, get out of Minneapolis, and run your property the way that you usually do. Denny, thank you so much for sharing this with us. We certainly appreciate your knowledge. And I uh, just want you to know how much we, we appreciate your research. And, you know, the reality is is, is if you want to hear more like uh, of this kind of topics, go ahead and sub- subscribe and push the link below. Um, Denny is a repeat uh, guest on this show and just brings us so much information. I think he's covered Chicago, Seattle, Kansas City, Minneapolis, and we'll continue to track these crazy regulations coming out of these cities or counties or states or whatever it is because we want to protect the Rent Perfect Nation. Thanks again, and until next time, continue to Rent Perfect.